Minds I Like podcast is sponsored by Event to Be Wellness, all natural products sourced from Grenada and Kador's natural juices. Sandra McKechnie began entertaining audiences many years ago as a dynamic, soul-inspiring songstress, lyricist, and producer. Her belief in the virtue of humanity is what led her to incorporate double consciousness into her creative portfolio further elevating the spirit of listeners through her public speaking. And double consciousness is the culmination of Sandra's personal research and exploration triggered by an urgency to delve deep beneath the surface of Black history as it was told. She shares her findings in a stimulating, upbeat fashion with numerous details and relevant facts that have impacted the fate of two distinct groups of people. Through this is the case, the information remains very relevant and inclusive, encompassing all race groups as they socially interact. She has integrated some of the amazing teachings of W.E.B. Du Bois and just wanted to hand it over to Sandra and she can talk to us a little bit more about her website, Double Consciousness. Hello, everybody. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, I hope that this can be a real gift to you, this information. And thank you so much, Alethea. Yes, speaking with you. And I was actually at a little luncheon online with Alethea and Carla, and it was wonderful. I took so much home in terms of being gentle with my mind. And so I hope everybody can join some of these things that you're putting on. Wonderful stuff. Yes. So double consciousness, it came to me, of course, through W.E.B. Du Bois, but it was a point in my life that I sort of didn't know I needed it, but I bumped into a video called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome by a lady psychologist Dr. Joy DeGruy. Mm -hmm. It's an hour and 20 minutes and change. And so I put the, that together with W.E.B. Du Bois' concept, and I'll tell you, it changed my life. Two streams of thought, two social identities is double consciousness. And I'm going to break it down. I'm going to really simplify it. And it's, it's say there is a black person and a white person, and we go back to a time warp, 21st century, 20, 19, 18, 17. So did I count that right? Yeah, 21, 20, 19, 18, 17. Say we're in the cusp of slavery. Mm -hmm. And both of us are there, black and white. Now we've got everybody in the room. So we've got Latinx, we've got Muslims in the room, not a plethora of people, of individual mixed race people, First Nations, Indigenous. But here we are. These, this was always about two nations because the concept of race is really, you know, not more than a couple of hundred, over a couple of hundred years old. But we look at this whole, the racialized situation. So we've gone back into the time warp and here we are, black and white. So we're in the 17th century. We know all of this started thousands of years before this, sub-Saharan trade and so on. However, we're looking at our office, whether it's colonization, imperialism, we're back in the time warp. And we were here together. We started this together. So we're just looking at, say we're just looking at black and white. Something happened black back here. A lot happened back here. A lot of dehumanization happened back here. So we're going to go home and we're looking at each other. So I'm black and I'm looking at this white person back in the 17th century because I went back in this time warp. 
And I say to them, hey, I'm here. How are you? And they're saying, oh, I'm feeling a little bit superior. Yeah, I'm feeling a little, a little bit supremacist coming on. How are you? Well, I'm feeling <laughs> a little bit dehumanized over here. Okay, let's go back. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, we're back home. Double consciousness goes through what happened in that coming home. It goes through why we showed up. We were taught just to, by meritocracy, forget about the time warp and pull up yourself by your bootstraps. So when I got home, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, myself, I represent my great, great, grand or great whoever. There's somebody back there that looked like me. In the 2021st century, going to school, we were taught not to connect ourselves with that. And nobody really sat us down and told us. It was part of the construct, part of the implicit stuff that was implied. You don't need that. We're here now. Nobody wants to talk about that. In fact, in school, it was almost an insult to tell someone, oh, I'll go back to Africa. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. We have Absolutely. been so subliminally seduced. So in our forums, we come to the point where we say to people, listen, you have been economically castrated. We can do something about this. So one of the things we chant is, it is not your fault that you can choose to do something about it. That's our big little thing that we, that we, we put out all the time. It is not your fault. Black and white, it is not your fault. Latinx, Muslim, it is not your fault. But you can choose to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And why we, what we do is we, at the end of it, the conclusion, coming back through the time warp, back and forth, we go back and forth, we grab things, we bring them back into the 21st century, go back to 17, 16, say, come back again, that people will understand. You see what happened? It's almost like we're, we go back, we literally do, because by the time we are done, people get a couple of things. One thing they understand is, oh my goodness, I thought I didn't save enough money. I thought something was wrong with me. I thought by saving, uh, you know, not buying my mocha, loca, whatever at Starbucks, I, you know, I was concerned about money and what's wrong with me? Why can't we? You were economically castrated. We look at it. So it's like this. Someone, the dominant group has done three laps, say. Mm -hmm. They're running a marathon. They've done three laps of this race. They're coming up behind you and they say to you, oh, you better take off because, you know, you've got three laps to do and then you still have to compete to the finish, but you're frozen, right? You don't have what they have. They have a head start, 300 years head start, 200 and something technically, but you don't have what they have. We go through all of that. We go through talking about wealth. This is wonderful. Yes, we have some scholastic people out here. Like my sister here, Alethea. <laughs> There's a lot of people out here doing this work that we've got people degreed to the nines out here. However, we're still only a few percent of the pie. So we look at things logically. Just look at it logically. Meritocracy, no such thing. When someone has taken off that amount of time, there's a book called by a lady called Marissa Baradaran, The Color of Money. Richard Rothstein, mm -hmm. a Jewish man, wrote another book called The Color of Law. It looks at all of that. It looks at the red line and green line. It looks at the fact that the world would have to stand still well over 200 years for us to catch up. Hmm. So it may be discouraging to us to think, oh, we won't have wealth, not as a group. We're a lot of wealthy people, but as a group, we're not going to have that kind of intergenerational wealth that has already been accrued by the dominant group. 
And they've also they have accrued a lot of real estate wealth and red line and lining and green lining castrated us in terms of that as well. Absolutely. And did you want to talk about the economic impact, which you've already addressed, but how about the academic impact? Absolutely. What that castration did to us? Let's go through that again. So we got the economic one. We also talk about the academic castration. So if you are stressed, Dr. Martin Luther King, was. he said he was grieved because his children couldn't play in a park that was across the street. They had to go out of bounds to a segregated park. So when you think about what that does to the self-esteem of our children in terms of learning. So there is a case called Brown versus the Board of Education, 1954, the desegregation of the school system. Now this test was conducted by Kenneth and Mamie Clark, two psychiatrists, because a gentleman by the name of Mr. Brown in 1954, his daughter had to go out of bounds again to a segregated school when there was a perfectly good school across the street. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, for white children. So he took this to the Supreme Court. So where our psychiatrist, Kenneth and Mamie Clark, came in, in terms of this economic cast, this academic castration, they did something called the doll test. I'm sure a number of people are aware of the doll test that was conducted in 1954, where apparently our black children left the room very um, crying in, in, in some in trauma. Because what this doll test, there was questions that was asked. So there was a black doll and a white doll on the table. Now, Kenneth and Mamie Clark had to prove the esteem of our children was at the lowest in order for this to go to the Supreme Court and to desegregate the school system. So what was happening, questions would be asked, which is the nice doll? Our precious black babies would pick the white one. Which is the bad doll? They would pick the black doll. Which one is is ugly? They're going to pick the black doll. You know, on and on these questions, we play this doll test in double consciousness. People do have trauma. It triggers me till this day. Mm-hmm. When you see these faces, and then the final question came to this black little one, and, or one of our babies. Okay, so which one looks like you? She picks the black doll. And there's this trepidation, you'll see it in the video, where she's already said that this doll is the bad one. This doll is the ugly one. But yet, it looks like her. Now, that test has not changed very much in the 21st century. And that was done in 1954. So this, they won this case because of this, because truly they proved, these two psychiatrists, Kenneth and Mamie Clark, that our children, their esteem was at an all-time low. Those children grow up. We have children and they grow up every day. So academically, we have been castrated psychologically, mm-hmm. emotionally. And that implicit racial bias that's entrenched institutionally is still here with us because it's come through the time warp with us, right? So we have a a lens that we look at that, and this is where people, we always say, remember, again, it is not your fault, but now you understand the psychology of it. This is where we need our therapists, and I love that because they can really, some amazing people out here, 
that can really help you to to think around this where you don't have to feel like you're you're always in trauma and um, you know we refer people as well and I'm so glad to meet Alicia because when you recognize that you have been castrated even psychologically right so in double consciousness, we say it is not your fault, but you can choose to do something about it. We're always doing self-care in our webinars because it's so important. We breathe. We do a little neuroscience little piece, and we are really caring for each other. And people start to speak and tell their stories. Oh, that's why I do this with my hair. Just little things that you, you go back again into the time warp. Here we go. 21, 20, 19, 18, 17. Here we are again. What's Massa saying to you? You're looking through the lens and he's called you. Come, come, look through this lens. And here you are. See what I see. So he's saying to you, you look like me. Talk like me. You act like me. You are me. But you even, and you even take the whip and beat your own brethren like me. We might call that shucking and jiving. You, you can destroy your own people like me. This is why we have so much self-hatred as well, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, Remember, you're not me, you're refuse, you're nothing. That is psychological castration. That is academic castration. Our children, it's difficult for them to learn when we have brought, and it's not our fault, we brought that home, right? Our children are going to always, if we aren't correcting some things right now, our children are going to choose the white doll over the black doll. But the only way they'll choose the black doll with trepidation is that it looks like me. Oh my goodness, it is me. That's daunting. <laughs> it's Nicolithia. It is, and that's the mindset that I don't think people realize that we actually do impose that implicit bias on our children ourselves. Yes, and that two streams of thought, two social identities, changed my life because I always do a peace sign with the gap in the middle. The gap represents struggle and those people that were assimilated upon trauma. So we must make that connection. And I always think what makes us resilient is not that we got kicked around, but the fact that we have come to the point where we know I have to pass something on to my babies. I have to pass something on, not too late. Even if you're in your 20s and you're, you're, you've got your children in their 20s and you have to pass something on, things can still change, mm -hmm. right? There's some things we can still try and keep moving and implementing, press forward. Now, two streams of thought, two social identities. We were assimilated upon trauma, whether it's apartheid, whether we were raped, whether we were dismembered, whether we were hung. Right? We were assimilated. Our relationships were fractured. Okay? You take a man that's bucking, that's fighting, and are we lost a lot of our men. So you take a man that's standing up, you you do something to him in front of his people. You tie one leg to a horse, you tie another leg to a horse. You literally beat those horses and they run in different directions until they rip that man literally apart. What happens to our woman standing there with her children? Is she not in trauma? So now she's independent of that man, but who is she dependent on? Slave master. Bring that back into the 21st century. Who is she dependent on? Perhaps the system? Mm -hmm. So we look at the ways in which learning, academic castration, 
economic castration has gone hand in hand for us. We did not get repair. In fact, slave masters, they just recently finished paying them off in Britain. Their insurance, policy, insurance policies on the slaves. I think the audacity. We didn't get, we didn't get any repair. So I'm going back to the economic castration and the academic castration. Those are huge for us, right? Two streams of thought, two social identities. The gap in between, remember, is the struggle. It's the peace sign I'm holding up. Two streams of thought. So one is our African-Canadian or African-American self, and the other one is how the slave master's point of view and mm -hmm. how he... In, 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 that was in, in, infused, if you will, in a part of us, in our psyche. So when I keep that peace sign, what did we do in double consciousness is try to push against it so we can close it. So you have one, a one sense of self. Mm -hmm. Will we ever do it in this lifetime? Hmm, maybe not. But we can keep pushing against that gap. That's mm -hmm. what it's about is to, uh, people are recognizing they do need care. They need to sit and talk with someone. Someone asked me, should I go to a white therapist? Can they do that for me? Can they take me where I need to go? And I say, to a certain extent. But after that, I would I would advise you to see a black therapist. If that therapist knows who they are or is working on it. Mm -hmm. Because if you go to a black therapist that doesn't, they're and they're overly assimilated, they may do worse, they may do more harm. So that's the concern of, you know, going, going and getting care. But double consciousness truly wants us to know it is not your fault. Hug up and love up. And we yesterday, um, Carla, in that middle, it was really great. She hugged herself. And I thought that's what we do in double consciousness. We give ourselves a hug because we can't. We sort of have to virtually do that, right? When we did this live, we um, didn't have to be concerned about that. Because, you know, we'd hug each other. It was great, you know. Absolutely. And in terms of, you know, presenting this information, the impact of the intergenerational trauma that we've gone through and the systemic trauma that has impacted us psychologically, how has the reception been so far and how are you presenting your information? You know, we have people that are doing social work in the room. We have mm -hmm. white people that come up and say, oh my goodness, I had no idea. And I, I would say to them before today, neither did I, not really. I thought I did. I thought I understood what consciousness was. And I understand it's not putting on a dashiki and going to the Afrofest and picking up products. That is important. And I love a dashiki, but that's not what it is. It's hard work. Exactly. And when we do our presentations, the feedback is, oh my goodness, you know, everybody in the room, I didn't know this. I didn't get this. Now, we haven't reinvented the wheel in double consciousness. Um, there's some greats out there. There's the uh, Black Panthers. There is Dr. Martin Luther King, of course. There's Malcolm Little, a.k.a. Malcolm X. People that we have been manipulated into thinking, maybe not Dr. Martin Luther King. Everybody tells him, but Malcolm X, for instance. I used to think, oh, he's a problem. He's a troublemaker. Where did I get that from? You know, the Black mm -hmm. Panther. Where do we get this stuff from? We have been seduced into thinking, oh, come on. What's wrong with you people talking about slavery? Uh, you know, that, that, that Malcolm X, troublemaker. And when I listen to this man and I listen to James Baldwin, 
This, they are the Black Lives Matter, right? In, in fact, there are people in the movement of Black Lives that can, if they could just sit under some of these people, you would really get an understanding of what that should really look like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Fabulous stuff. So the, the, the work that we break down is in order to allow people that are out there, all these people that are educators that are touching our babies and themselves. This is about just also restoring this racial harmony that we seek. You know, my white sister girl who I've known for many years, it was difficult for her. And another white sister girl isn't able to connect with me on this level. It's so difficult for her in a different way. So when we speak about allies, these are the people that are coming, white people that are in social work, that are in the judicial system working, hungry, wanting to understand, oh my goodness, and they'll come up to me. I can't touch your people unless I know what I'm doing. Absolutely not. You will do more harm. You will continue to do harm. So the motivation is to get people to do less harm. If you're a therapist, whatever it is you're doing, this is the content. And a lot of other people are doing this, this type of thing out here. So this is how we present it. You know, it's an eight-hour day, but we've cut it into four consecutive Sundays from five to seven. Each time we do it on Zoom, this is how we, we present it. Mm-hmm. And how's your engagement and interaction been up until this point? It is amazing. It changes my life. It looks like this. Once we start, because I start to tell stories, and the moment I become vulnerable, and everybody uses that word, but I'm going to tell you what that looks like. When when I start being vulnerable like this, my brother sat in one of the, when we were doing it live, and he passed away last year. So when he sat, he got up and he said, oh my gosh, we started to talk about it and unpack it. He spent a lot of time with me. And he said, Sandra, I will never again be with a white woman. I will never again. And I, wow, I went, wow. And I said, is this something specifically I said? He said, no, you never stood up there and said anything like that. But I understand from the content that I did not know who I was. I I feel like I wasn't given the choice as a black man because of this assimilation process, you see. Mm. So he, it got to him in the way that what he was doing all his life, because he met, you know, he went out with a lovely, a couple of white ladies or a lot of our men do and our sisters do. You marry who you love, you be with who you choose. But when you understand what happened to you, you make different choices. You have the opportunity to make different choices. So when my brother said this, not because he can't stand white people, but he understood as a black man. When Masa told me I was him, when he beat me in a multi-generational way, it was me. When he did all he did to do, castrate me psychologically, economically, politically, socially. He fractured me, right? And he tries to take away my manhood. I'm a warrior. I did not have a choice. I feel like I did not have the choice that I should have had to make the decisions I have made that have affected my life. Mm -hmm. So that's what Stephen meant when he said that. And when he passed, he was in a great place. We left the hospital, of course, course we had to deal with some yuckies because his transition was so amazing he knew who he was by his faith and as a man and he had changed and that's one of the reasons i also do this work to honor honor our men that's one of the big things in double consciousness so 
you had, you had said something to me. Did I go off? <laughs> Probably. No, actually, you answered everything that I had asked because, you know, I just what? wanted to get some feedback on the courses and how yes. things are going so far. And can you just break down a little bit, you know, what each course is? Yes. There's two different ones. We originally just had a fundamentals, double consciousness fundamentals. But then as we started to unpack things, it got so thick, you know, so we started another one called double consciousness advanced. So there's a double consciousness fundamentals, and then there's a double consciousness advanced. And with the advanced comes an all hour with me that I call policing implicit racial bias. Now there's a benefit to applying for both of those at the same time. You get a, a 25% discount in doing the both of those things. But that hour in, poli in policing implicit racial bias is amazing, Alethea. We have white people that come in for this, black people come in, mixed race people comes in, and it's different for each one because I've broken it down to be different because they're experiencing different things, but yet some similar things. Mm -hmm. So it's a fascinating hour. <laughs> With, with these people. Policing implicit racial bias is about policing yourself first, your family, and then your community. Absolutely. Because that was my question to you. What strategies can people apply into their current situation? Uh, just for them to be self-aware and just to check themselves when, you know, they're in situations where you can definitely hear and you can see when people are being harmed by these implicit biases. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we've spent a lot of time thinking that we're tripping, for lack of a better word, you know. Is it me or is something going on in this room? Mm -hmm. um, I had to I literally defend someone on a human rights issue. I don't can't say too much more than that, but I had to defend someone on a human rights issue in a position with a CEO. Alicia, I literally felt trauma. I'm the one defending this person. There's a white person in front of me and would probably deny that they have this superiority complex. And the way in which they were speaking to this person that is also Black, I had to take up my hand and say, stop, you're bordering on harassment. I, 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 it was one of the first times I did it and I did not recognize how traumatic it was to actually be in the face of someone that is actually speaking in a dehumanized way to someone that is my family, mm -hmm. to another person that is me. And in that, I'm gonna say this, but I'm just letting it out. I could, my underarm started to smell because of the toxins that were coming out. <laughs> we can laugh at it, but what happened is I felt trauma and this is how my body expressed itself. Mm -hmm. It was so real to me. I had to go and unpack it after because of the way this person, but yet there was a part in me. It was that, that flight or fright thing. I had to put my hand out and say, stop. You are bordering on harassment. I could not accept it anymore. So when we, we say to people, if you can, because there's ways we, we have a whole section on what does healing look like? Clinicians are in there, of course, and how people can, um, we ask people, even when they're in these sessions, sometimes you can't, you know, go like 15 feet right into the pool. If you have to take your camera off in the session, take it off. If you have to step back a minute, step back, because everybody in the room is at different places. So we constantly have to check in. 
But one thing that I heard Dr. Joy DeGruy said, one of, you know, I truly appreciate her work, was that people were saying to her, what do we do? What do we, how do we handle this? And her thing was, say something. I have a resource list we hand people. Do your homework. You can't just take this once and expect change. You have to entrench yourself on some level, but do a little bit at a time and say something. So if you're not sure, call a friend, use a lifeline, call me. So we leave ourselves available for to a certain extent where people can be in touch with us. Okay, so this is happening. Okay, if you're not sure in terms of how you've, you know, you maybe you, you took the fundamentals and you haven't gone to the advanced, the advanced couple conscious is very empowering. We deal with Weapons of Whiteness by Catrice Jackson, We, Carol Anderson, um, White Rage. We take a look at exactly what that looks like. Fantastic information. And when you understand what it looks like, there's an empowerment that comes with it that causes you. Well, one of my white sister girls I've known for many years, her takeaway was, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be the primer. I've known her family for many years. Primer meaning like white paint on the wall. She's going to set people up first because she knows they're not ready for double consciousness. That's great. We need that. So these are things people can do. When you hear something happening, keep yourself safe. But are you able to say something? You're in your family gathering. Are you able to police implicit based racial bias? Police it in yourself first, then in your family, and then you can move to the community. So this is what we ask people to do. Say something. If you need a clinician, call, call a clinician. We have some people we can refer you to. And, I, and I'm hoping that Alicia and her organization will be one of that in that group. Because <laughs> we do need. But we ask people, what does it look like? And we also suggest, take the resource list. There's some information on there. Put on one of the videos in your home. Read something that we've given you from there in your home. It doesn't have to be intrusive. You can put it on, but sometimes it can be a little intrusive. Why not? Turn it up so that, to the point where your child might say, turn that down. You know? <laughs> Let it resound in your home. A beautiful woman in one of our webinars, she came and she said, you know, she married a white man. She said, listen, he's a wonderful man, so on, but I have my, you know, my sons, mixed race. I want them to marry black. And I said, you know what? If that's a good man, they have a right to typify, some, marry somebody that typifies him. But really and truly, you have them for maybe 2% because they're being seduced by this culture. So you have them 2% of the time, use your resource list. If you don't know where to go, pick something. Make sure a little bit. You're just watching it in yourself, but they're going to interact with you. What are you watching, mom? Make sure that you please continue to participate in policing this implicit racial bias all over your life, right? So that your kids will have an opportunity to say that in your home, this is something Dr. Frances Cress Welsing said. I turned her off for a while because I thought she was uh, committing reverse racism, <laughs> which is, of course, a myth. However, one thing she said was, go home in one of her teaching, go home and take all the stuff off your walls, walls, fill your life with color, fill your life with color. Cause think about it. We have been so, we've had so much of the other, even when we had the Cosby show, there was a show years ago. I think Julia Baker was the star. It was a about a nurse. Our people got roles, but they had to be sanitized. 
right? So we're still indoctrinated. We're still assimilated. They have to be sanitized. You have to make sure you press that here, even if you don't want to. You got to make sure to get those roles. But it was, it was at least it was a move. We, we we hope in the right direction. But so we are asking people to look at things like that, as to how we are showing up in our homes with our children, so that we can reverse some of this assimilation. And at least confront it and know it's not your fault. But now we can do the do. We can change something about it. We can do something about the economic castration, the academic castration. We can do something about encouraging our children who are choosing dolls and, and listening to things on TV. What are you watching? Neely Fuller was the sort of guru to Dr. Francis Crest Welsing, Dr. Neely Fuller. He said, there's nine things that affect us as a people. He was specifically talking to black people, but this is for anybody that is doing this work, right? Three, the, three, uh, the three E's, economics, education, entertainment. So look at those three. Economics, what are we doing with our black dollars? Okay, we know it's not our fault, but what can we do? I like to go down to Simone's down here in the city. And, and, and you know, when we were open, I still can order it and I still do to get my food, my Caribbean food. Ritz has a wonderful food. Um, <laughs> jerk, jerk chicken is yummy. And so really, what are you doing with your black dollars? What do you choose to do with them? It's not, it's not easy. Of course, things are convenient. I have a restaurant over here, beautiful Greek food. But what am I choosing? What do I, what am I, how much percent? Can I do it at least 60% of the time? What am I, I mean, we go to the grocery stores. Okay, we have to go there. But what are we doing when we have our food? And where are we buying? Are we buying black? Are we trying to buy black? So all of that makes a difference for us. Mm-hmm. And, and what, are we, what are we doing with our black dollars? So we got the economics. What are enter- entertainment? What are we watching on television with our children? Huge. Mm-hmm. Economics, entertainment, right? Education. What are we studying? What are we doing with our education? Even if it's extracurricular education about our history. Are we going into one of these webinars? Are we, is there something coming up? Are we shifting the narrative? <laughs> Alethea, I've got to get into that one. We are involved with, as we, in terms of our education. And it's wonderful to get education in this concert. It's wonderful. But when are we looking also into our history, uh, that sort of education? So there's nine areas. Ent- entertainment, education, economics, two L's, labor, law, politics, sex, war, and religion. Okay. So one thing Dr. Neely Fuller said is, what, what are you hanging around? What are our people doing? You know, how are we hanging around? And they're saying, brothers, so, you know, you shouldn't be hanging around unless you're doing something. You're actually doing something with your minds. You know, are you fixing the car? What are you doing? Are we just hanging around smoking weed? What are we, what are we up to? And how are our children looking at that? What are we passing on? So that should be a grave concern. And that's one of the things, one of our objectives is in double consciousness. We have goals and objectives as we go in. And then we revisit them again in this in the sessions to see, are you meeting those goals? Are you meeting those objectives? Passing things on to the next generation. And I, I have to say, one thing I've learned from you that is fantastic for me to continue to do this is when I mentioned it in our backstage chat, but when we are faced with thoughts all day, those that can do this, please do it. I think it's amazing. 
when we have difficult thoughts, we implement some gratitude where we are really in our thought world, start thinking of the beautiful things that are happening. I'm so grateful. My sister said something to me yesterday and she was just encouraging me. I want to think about that for a minute. I don't want to always use my thoughts because if we don't change our thoughts, then we're going to do harm to ourselves. That's when we get sick, the stress, all of that stuff that's going on in the world, right? I want to use my thoughts to look at the sunlight, go out. I'm going to go for my walk just now (laughs) after this. And I want to look up and think about what was said to me yesterday and that wonderful time I had with you and Carla, just my attitude and don't let the beautiful moments pass as well. Mm-hmm. So things like this, I want to share with double consciousness now. There's beautiful moments. We act, we just always we seem to go to the other moments where it seems easier to do that. But those beautiful moments of even you giving me a compliment, something that you genuinely wasn't just lip service. You mean it, and I, I'm experiencing it. I want to sit in that. Don't let that pass so quickly. Mm-hmm. I want to enjoy that. You Absolutely. know. And when I do my walk, I'm, I'm going to do what you've suggested. I want to look at the sun. I want to enjoy what's out here and not let it pass so quickly. My brother passed away and I had mentioned it to you. We had a beautiful moment that I hold on to. And I'm so thrilled about those beautiful moments that I was able to engage with him. So focus on these things. Get your education, though, <laughs> your economics, entertainment, your education. Get that intact, but also focus on these amazing things so we can execute all that learning. And we're not always in, in a suffering mode and that we're just experiencing, experience some beautiful things so we can implement healing and all those thoughts that are causing us to be sick. We can push some of those out of the way. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I agree or, or deal with it or deal with them. Yes. Not push them out of the way. No, we don't want to do that properly. Dealing with them. Yummy. Well, I think it's okay to push them out of the way. I just tell people that if it really doesn't serve you and there's nothing you can do, then okay. you have to discard it. Discard because, it. Okay. Yeah, just discard it. Then it doesn't make sense to dwell on that. Yes. There's no outcome. There's no solution. You know, I, I like to focus on something that has a desirable outcome or I can achieve a goal from it. So, yeah. Absolutely. And like I have I've said to you, you know, if we can have you as a part of to just refer people to you know, your practice, I think it's it's so necessary that we encourage our people, our men, our, our women, our children, as they encourage their families, perhaps encourage their children, sit with them with someone that can help them. And it's amazing when you have some tools that you can really do better, when you have some tools as to how to, what to do with your thoughts, that they could be just thoughts, they don't have to be feelings. they can just sort of is that am I saying that correctly Alethea yes you're right doesn't mean that just as soon as you automatically think of it that that's what it is like Mm. that's why you need to sit with it and just figure it out first before you have a reaction or an action because based on that action or reaction it might be a good outcome or it might be a negative outcome so you know whatever your intention is of the outcome that's where you need to put your energy wow and you know this is some of the things i hear when people come up it's like oh i have this guilt i've had this guilt how many years i've had this guilt and that has been infused into our people Mm -hmm. so now detox and get rid of that so we have to do a detox. 
uh, to get rid of some of that and mm-hmm. and really sitting with someone that Dr. Frances Creswell sang could have made a lot of money, but she stayed in her community to teach her people what? How to sing. Absolutely. I just yeah. love that. It can be so healing, you know? That's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. So Sandra, for yes. people to get in touch with you and, you know, just get some more of your wonderful wisdom, how can they connect with you? They can actually give me an, throw me an email at doubleconsciousness at gmail.com. Now that's two Bs. And oh yeah, the two Bs. That's all that was left. I tried to get the one B, but I could only get the two. <laughs> but it works out in our favor, double consciousness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's doubleconsciousness at gmail.com. That's how they can throw me an email. They can go to the website, doubleconsciousness.com, two Bs again. They can actually subscribe there so they can get my my newsletter and just find out about what's going on. I'm on Facebook. Again, double consciousness. That's all you need to look for. It has two Bs. And um, and you, you can put, plug in Sandra McKechnie and my page will come up and you'll find me there. You'll see like two lions. <laughs> and that would be the logo. Yes, uh, very powerful. And I just want to thank you for being on the Minds I Like podcast. It was wonderful. My privilege. I use that term loosely, but it was a privilege. Really was to be here. Thank you. And you're listening to the Minds I Like podcast.